Go thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Okay, hey everybody. I want to welcome all of you out there in Periscope World and also Blog Talk Radio to our show today. And uh, you know what, I'm going to, you're like going, how come there's no music? What's with that? I know, I know, I know. Well, I didn't want to play any today, just so you know. But if you're a biblical Christian, you always have music in your heart, just so you know. Yeah, just saying. All right. No, anyway, hey, let's go go ahead and give some shout outs to some of you guys coming in. I want to thank you all for coming in. And I'll let you know that today we're going to talk about, a, you know, a, a intimate subject that I think some people might be uncomfortable with because you, you struggle with this and you don't want to talk about it. Or you might be encouraged by because you struggle with it and you kind of do want to talk about it. So uh, I encourage you to share this out because I think it's going to be encouraging. I really do. <clears throat> so let me just say hi to some of you, though, that I see coming in. Uh, Jeff, thank you for coming in and thank you for your service again. Uh, Megan, I am glad that you're here. I I appreciate you coming in. Uh, Patricia and Daughter of the King, Andrea, nice to see you. Mark, thanks for coming in. Some of you, I don't know your names, but I'm glad that you're here. Nick, hi, Nick and Jennifer and Mia, nice to see you. Dr. Jennifer Fee, thank you for sharing that out, girlfriend. Jennifer just turned 50 a couple days ago. She's actually 50 years old in two days now. Yeah, best friends are supposed to do that. (laughs) Uh, She loves me. Anyway. I know. She's saying, hey, now. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Did you get a gold star? I think you got a gold star. I think you're a gold star periscoper now. Oh, my gosh. How did you do that? Anyway. Anyway. So, anyway, you guys, thank you for coming in. Uh, I didn't come here to be trolled by you. Well, yes, you did. (laughs) Anyway, you're a gold star on Periscope, Jennifer. Oh, my gosh. See, my guest doesn't know this stuff. But a gold star is like the top here in Periscope land. We're a little bronze star, as far as I know. We should be getting a silver star soon, I think. Anyway, so anyway, thank you guys for coming in. Glad you're here. And I hope that uh, I hope that you guys share this out because it's going to be a good good show. We're talking about sexual addiction today with our guest. Uh, and before I bring him on, I just want to let you know that um, we want to thank our sponsor, Ariel Ministries. Um, If you uh, just recently joined us, Ariel is a Messianic Jewish ministry that seeks to evangelize the Jews and disciple Gentile believers alike. And we have a 20% uh, off coupon code. You can use that coupon code Bible News and you can save 20% off anything in the store. And the main thing that we're advertising like right now is their uh, Messianic series. Thank you. Ah, we're so on cue, man. I actually saw it right when you... Anyway, so the D.L. Cooper's Messianic Series, it's a bundle that costs $32, but when you use Bible News, you'll get it for $25 and some change plus shipping. Uh, and this is a great little series of seven books uh, that talks about uh, the Messianic, uh, who who Christ is, Israel, and all that. You guys really need to get it, and seriously. And the best part about it is, check this, 
is that it was written in the 30s before the nation of Israel was reestablished. I mean, it's totally cool. Serious. I mean, totally cool. You guys got to check it out. Also, I want to thank uh, PIJN News, uh, which is the ministry of my friend, Dr. Gordon James Klingenschmidt from Pray in Jesus' Name. Uh, you can go there, sign up for his email alerts, uh, and uh, and get in the know. In fact, if you listen to our podcast, we air two of his shows a week uh, on our weekend, uh, on our weekend show. And you guys should go there and get involved because, uh, well, sign up and then go fax Congress. That's the other thing you got to do is fax Congress your opinion. Tell them what you think. Don't be afraid. Well, you could be afraid, but don't try not to be afraid. <laughs> They won't do anything. I lived in California, and I, I actually faxed my people all the time. They never did anything to me. So check out faxcongress.com. And then certainly, last but not least, if you enjoy our show and you love me and Barefaced because of all the great content that we provide and the awesome, totally cool, sweet, and lovable guests that we have, then become a pillar of our community. And basically what we do is just ask that you donate $25 or more. We'll put you into our private Facebook group. And also, uh, we do special gatherings that give you behind-the-scenes info. Today, I actually posted a sample of today's guest book in there so that you guys could see that. Uh, And all you got to do is go to BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash give or right here in Periscope, right there in the link. It's PayPal.me forward slash BibleNewsRadio. You can go there and give. They can also get you tickets to (laughs) – so anyway, so – Thank you guys for uh, all the love and support. And those of you who shared it out, uh, I really totally appreciate it. So, all right, let's talk now about secrets. We have a brand new book here today. The book is called Secrets, A True Story of Addiction, Infidelity, and Second Chances. Uh, my guest has been highlighted on the 700 Club, uh, him and his wife. And I'll tell you a little about, about my guest. His name is Jonathan Darty. Okay, he gave me a cheat sheet so I could actually know how to say his name. Anyway, he's the founder of Be Broken Ministries, which is and uh, founder of Gateway to Freedom Workshop for Men. He also hosts a weekly radio broadcast called Pure Sex Radio, which I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good show to listen to to me. Uh, he's in demand nationally as a speaker on sexual purity and men's issues, uh, and he's appeared on a whole bunch of other radio places. And he has graced us with his presence today. So anyway, I'm really happy to have Jonathan on our show. So thank you, sir, for joining us here on Bible News Radio. Glad you're here. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know, I'm, I'm first of all, the first thing I want to say, I mean, you and me have already talked for a half hour. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, what I want people to know, and, you know, I want to thank you for personally, is the fact that you have come clean with your story. Because, you know, we talk about sex addiction all the time uh, on this show. We talk about gay activism. We talk about sexuality issues a lot. But it's it's a very vulnerable thing to come out and say, yep, that was me. I did it. You know, I'm guilty as charged. Um, and so I guess the first thing I want to ask is, is, does it ever get any easier to actually talk about it? Because... Um, I, I know for a fact I have people in my audience who have spouses who are into pornography, and I, you know, I just, I just know for a fact it's an issue with my audience. Mm-hmm. So, well, I would say this, uh, you know, my calling, so to speak, into ministry was just those three words: tell your story. 
And at first I didn't really want to do it because it was still very fresh. I was only about four years into my recovery. And so most of my history involved all of the brokenness aspects of my addiction. So that was much more prevalent in my mind. And so most of my story contained all of the issues of my pornography use and affairs and prostitution and all those broken pieces. And so it was very difficult in the first years of going around and telling my story. Now I'm 18 years removed from that first day of recovery. And so while I still don't find it pleasant to tell all of those aspects of the things that I did that were so horrible and betraying towards my wife and hurtful of other people, it in some ways feels today like I'm talking about a different person. Mm. And so it doesn't, I don't feel as um, emotionally overwhelmed to tell it today as I might have, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And so, but it never gets to a point where I'm just, you know, gleeful about telling my story. You know, the only part that yeah. gets me really excited are, is all of the recovery pieces. Yeah. Um, it's not the, I don't, I don't, I don't ever enjoy telling the broken part, but it's necessary in order to actually put into context what's happened in recovery. Amen. So you have to tell the whole story. Amen. And you know what? I mean, that's what's so good about God, right? And all that. And there's, there's actually people who are making comments. They're congratulating you. They're thanking you. Um, and, uh, and, uh, some people are saying that there's actually not enough people in the church that actually talk about it. And I think, I think mm-hmm. that's true, actually. I mean, as a therapist, uh, I don't practice anymore, but, but with the exception of maybe one or two of my clients, there is always a sexual issue at hand. I don't care what the topic was. Eventually some type of sexual issue would come out. I mean, I've talked to women who are, uh, worship leaders who are addicted to pornography. Um, and I've heard things I wish I didn't hear, <laughs> you know, because of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of compassion because I think people who um, get ensnared by pornography, I think they're victims of it in the sense that uh, I think the people who are involved in making it and I think people who are involved in watching it and consuming it are, are victims. I, and I think um, it's deceptive. So mm-hmm. the first thing, obviously, I should ask you is, when did it all begin? Yeah, so uh, before I share that, I just want to make a comment on what you were just saying there. There's plenty of evidence out there to show that pornographers are predatory in their creation of pornography. What I mean by that is, make no mistake, pornographers are targeting 10-year-olds. Yeah, they are. Because they're they're doing what they call cyber squatting. So what they're doing is they're they're snatching up uh, domain names, you know, your .com names and all that of of just slightly misspelled either hero characters or Disney characters or something like that. And so then when some kid just mistakenly stumbles into a pornographic website, it gets them hooked. And then the average age of of first-time exposure to porn is about nine or ten years old and the average age for a man getting help with pornography addiction is about 35 years old so the pred- the pornographers know that they can capture a a customer for 25 years if they get them at, at 10 years old so anyway I just wanted to make mention of that because I don't want people to think that oh it's just kind of pornographers are really innocent and really they're just trying to go after adults and it's just adult entertainment they have a business model that is about capturing customers for as long as possible. 
But anyway, my story, when I got captured, was I was 12 years old. And uh, I was at a friend's house, and we, I had spent the night, went out behind his house the next day, we're playing in the woods, and he ends up showing me this uh, porn magazine that was out in this field out, out by his house. And I had no idea how to process that. It was overwhelming to me. I'd never seen pornography before. My parents had never spoken to me about pornography. So I had no idea what to do with that. And it, it sunk deep because I didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, and I think that's pretty typical of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you're hit with something that's traumatizing and overwhelming, uh, if you don't have a structure in your home that is intentional about parents drawing you out to talk about scary things, to talk about, you know, things that you don't understand, then I don't know any kid that's going to voluntarily initiate those kinds of conversations. And so, I mean, and I even grew up in a Christian home, parents who love the Lord love me, but that doesn't automatically mean that you're going to have an environment in which this kind of dialogue is, is going on. So from that point forward, pornography started to become this um, mistress, so to speak. It became this escape for me. It became a way for me to begin to manage the stress of being a teenager, the embarrassment, and all the other kinds of things that come along with just normal teenage years. Uh, I was using pornography then as a way of escape. And that went all the way through my junior high and high school years. The whole time, and the reason the name of my book is Secrets is because that's what was going on. I wasn't telling anybody what I was doing. And I was becoming kind of this divided person of, hey, I've got my, my image that I present to my church, to my parents, to my school. But then internally, I've got this kind of decaying that's going on in my soul because I'm getting totally entangled in pornography and, and lust. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, it, it is. In fact, one of the things, one of the terms, uh, sentences I read in your book, uh, and I thought this was so good, uh, and all you guys, you're going to love this, <clears throat> hiding and lying go hand in hand, you know? And I, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, that that needs to go on a bumper sticker somewhere. Are you, you know, are you hiding and lying because, <laughs> you know? And yet mm-hmm. it's interesting to me. I, you know, I do all, I do all of our show here online. And so, um, you know, it's, it's often annoying for me because of some of the research that I do in particular with, um, with the gay activism issue, I, I go, I troll gay blogs, right? Not because I troll them, but I read them for information and stuff. And, and my husband and I, we have a, we have a deal. And that is that if we stumble upon it accidentally, you know, like gay blogs, I can tell you as a woman going to a gay man's blog, I mean, that's a feast for the eyes for a woman because there's nothing but hot men on there, you know? And I'm like, okay, I got to stop going to these gay blogs because they're, you know, they're tempting me here to think where I shouldn't think. Um, And, and, you know, honestly, who would thought, you know, who would have thought that I'm just going to a gay blog to expose the gay agenda, but they have men on there that, I mean, that's porn, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like golly, you know? Um, So we have, you know, we have that accountability and, you know, I actually don't go to these blogs anymore because it's like, I don't need to see it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, um, you know, in terms of and hiding and lying, um, I know that you share a couple of things in your book. Um, 
and I don't want to ruin it if for anybody who wants to get the book because you know it's not a huge book, and so I don't want you to tell every you know thing. And I know you're not going to. I guess you could go and you could stock all of Jonathan's interviews and maybe get a piece here or a piece there. But um, tell me a little bit about uh, a. a uh, expand more on the hiding and lying aspect of, sure. of who I don't you want are. People to, I want people to know, okay, so the title of the book is Secrets. It doesn't mean I'm wanting to keep it a secret. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that would be kind of a ironic. ironic thing to say, um, yeah, I, I'm keeping everything in the book a secret. But the idea of hiding and lying, I think it goes all the way back to the garden. Right. You know, the very first thing that sin caused in Adam and Eve was to hide. They, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. And the first thing they thought to do was, I've got to cover myself up. And then what happened? There was a deception that occurred after that, or at least a blaming that started to happen after that. When God says, where are you? Adam, where are you? And then, he, and then Adam or God asked the question, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And Adam did not own up. He'd already covered himself, so he'd already hidden. But then he said, it's the woman. It's her fault. And he even blamed God. He said, it's the woman you gave me. So I think there's this effect that sin has in our lives of causing us to want to not only hide, but then lie and deceive. And, and we, might, we might fool ourselves into thinking that I'm just telling a little white lie here. I'm not really telling, you know, a bold-faced lie. But it's the same thing that goes all the way back to that garden. Sin's effect on us is to hide and to deceive. And uh, so it's, so I think pornography, man, for me as a kid, that was something that I didn't even know what pornography was. And yet I knew immediately when I saw it, that something's not right about this. Even though I couldn't have explained to you anything about what was going on in the pictures or anything like that. I had this sense because I think we're all made in the image of God. So therefore we have a conscience that even if we can't explain something that is outside of God's design, we can sense it in our being. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, even at 12 years old, there's something not right about this. And the problem is, is that because it had a sexual nature to it, there's such an enticement that I still got entangled in it. And that's one of the things I think that sin does too, is it causes us to get enticed by the pleasure components of sin, that we ignore the consequence components. And so, you know, from that point on, I just started kind of um, embracing more and more the pornography, which only increased the hiding and lying that had to occur uh, from that point forward. Right. Yeah. Because it feels like the stakes get higher. You know, the more you consume, the more you look at, then you realize now I've got more secrets. I've got, you know, a hundred secrets now of things that I've done. And so with every secret that you hide, it feels like if I were to reveal now well, man, the consequences seem much greater and I could be rejected that much more and I could face that much more trouble. And this is one of the deceptions that we hear from many husbands, especially we do with a lot of men. And a lot of times they're, they hide behind this idea of, well, the reason I haven't told my wife is because I don't want to hurt her. Right. And really what they're saying is, man, I got so many secrets. I don't want to face the consequences of what this is going to do on me if I reveal this. So it's also one of these things that it's self-deceptive. It's not only just about us deceiving others. Sin starts to become self-deceptive where we're deceiving ourselves into thinking that it's a great idea to continue hiding my sin because then I'm not hurting my spouse. You know, think of the rationale of that. It's not, it's not logical. 
it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, me continuing to do something that is already hurting her, and so by me not revealing it, it's going to keep from hurting her. It has no rational basis. No, it, it doesn't actually. Um, and it's, um, uh, I'm, I hate to use this term, but it's self-centered. I mean, you oh, know, absolutely. It, it's, and you know, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of pride in, in wanting to hide something, you know, let's go ahead and go deeper though. Cause I know, you know, in our society, sexual activity is glorified. I mean, it's immoral sexual activity is glorified. Um, masturbation is glorified. Um, in fact, I can tell you there is a, a review site that I go to that's actually um, you can you can get products on Amazon for free and stuff, and they have a whole section for sex toys. Okay, I mean, and when I saw that, I was like, you gotta be kidding me! I mean, I actually thought that I was like, you have got to be kidding me, you know? And and yet I know people here on uh, Periscope and other places online who actually actively talk about. Um, engaging in sexual activity and laughing about it and, and all of that. Um, and when I say sexual activity, I mean, pornography use, masturbation, that fantasy life. And they don't understand that there is, um, there, there is a hook in their shame. Um, and there is self-centeredness in it. And there is something that comes between, uh, you and a spouse. If, certain things are not dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's difficult because who wants to talk about it except to say, oh, let's go and do it. Let's have fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yet the funny thing is, uh, yeah, somebody's saying you'll go blind. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that even as a therapist, that topic came up all the time. So how do you, how do you address the topic of masturbation with pornography and the, that hold, because let's face it, that's the issue. Right. And, mm-hmm. and there's a biological component to it that causes you to want more. You know what I mean? Sure. So how do you deal with that, Jonathan? I mean, seriously, because. Yeah. Um, well, and how we deal with any of the aspects of brokenness that can come out of our, our sin nature and, and how that affects our sexuality we always try to take a person and say, listen, we want to first help you understand the design and the purpose for which God has made sexuality. Because so many times, and I see this happening over and over again, and believe it or not, in our 14-year history of, of ministry early on, this used to be even our paradigm from which we would come from, which is let's deal with every single nuance of brokenness that we can and deal with every single one of those pieces. Well, that gets to be, an, you can't create enough programs right. for all the kinds of ways in which brokenness occurs. So what we've realized is, you know what, God has actually made it very simple. If we start with his design and what is the, and what is the original design and purpose for sexuality, then all the various points of brokenness can find their way to that truth. And that's why we, then you can have a, a clear path. So take, for instance, this issue of, of masturbation to pornography and some of those kinds of things. Um, there is a completely self-centered component to that aspect. We like to think a simple definition of masturbation really is self-sex. Now, if you look at the original design that God made for sexuality, at the very beginning, he made Adam, and he had not yet created Eve. And while Adam was in that alone state, God said, this is not good. 
It's not good for man to be alone. And so when he made Eve and then brought Adam and Eve together, what he was saying in that union was he was saying, your sexuality was not meant to be self-directed. Your sexuality in its original design is meant to be directed towards your covenant partner in marriage. And so therefore, there, that starts to instruct all the various other aspects of brokenness that we can see that have a self-centered component to them. Did you know, and I, you know, some people may disagree with me on this, but I actually believe that you can be engaging in sinful sex with your spouse, meaning you're essentially masturbating to your spouse with your spouse. Meaning, in other words, if I am saying everything that's going on in my mind, I'm not really engaging my, my spouse here. What I'm doing is I'm still making it all about me, and I'm just using her for my pleasure. I don't believe that is something that's pleasing to God. That's not the original design that he had for sex. And so sex is meant to be that idea of the two become one. And that's on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a physical level. And so we like to answer your question. I know I maybe didn't get into the specifics, but we like to take it to that design element and Mm -hmm. say, what's the original design? And now see, where does your, where's your brokenness out here? And how can you begin to find your way to this truth of what would it look like if you were living within God's design of sex being something that is meant to be a gift to your spouse? And a lot of unmarried people go, well, I'm not married. Okay, guess what? It's still a gift to your spouse yet to be. It's like it doesn't change the design. It's not like, oh, you know what? Single people get a pass because, you know, God didn't really know what it was going to be like in the 21st century in terms of how difficult all the temptations would be. So. If you're single, you can go ahead and masturbate and look at pornography all you want. But, you know, once you get married, then you know, it's like the design and the and the foundation doesn't change just because the culture does. Right. Well, and and, you know, I mean, that's really powerful. And I'm not sure how many of, of our listeners have actually ever heard that perspective before. In fact, I would love it if you put a one if you actually have never heard that perspective before. That gives me an idea because we have quite a few people here tuned in. Um and and this is a hard subject because um, uh, how do you because well because like I said this is, our society glorifies it people um, are, so we're getting some ones here that's good that's good see it can give you a different perspective um, but yeah at the same time um, we live in a society that and a church let's say that doesn't want to uh, somebody just told me to shut up because I'm annoying no. If you want me to shut up, hit the little X and you can leave. Uh, anyway, we live in a society that's kind of like, um, you know, in the church where we don't want to talk about it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was um, a member of the Vineyard Christian Fellowship many years ago, and, and the pastor there was busted for pornography on the church computer um, and basically was asked to step down and all that. So let's say somebody is struggling with it. How do you, how do you get help? I mean, Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the first step? Because, because, I, I mean, I, I heard some of your story on the Seven Hundred Club, and you have it here in your book, Secrets, everybody, which you should go to the website BeBroken.com and learn more about it. Um, but, but like when, when you're in your story, you finally fessed up to your wife all the stuff that mm-hmm. you did. So tell us a little bit about more about your story about what happened with your wife, um, that ultimately led to your confession. I guess is a good thing. 
Sure. So I went through college, and when I got into college, I crossed what we call the flesh barrier. So it wasn't just about pornography anymore. Now I'm being sexual with other people, and that just created a whole new level of dividedness in me where I felt like I just had to now you, you know, pretend to people even more, create even more of an image that, that protected this internal, you know, issue of sexual lust. Uh, when I got married, I really thought that was going to cure my problem. I was hopeful. I was hoping that would cure my problem. A lot of single Christian men are hoping for that. Man, if I get married, it's going to cure my problem with pornography and lust. Yeah. And for a season, it feels that way because you have this honeymoon feeling and everything's wonderful and all that. And then the realities of just what have occurred uh, come to the forefront, which is, oh my goodness, I married somebody who's not like me. And all of those stressors come in. And all and, and by the way, all that's natural. I believe that's actually also part of God's design. I believe the reason that he, he said that a man and a woman are to are who who are to come together and become one flesh is because it's only in the male and female that the fullness of God's image is born. And then also because of those differences, it refines each of us in growing in our dependence upon our creator because we realize, you know. We've all, if you're married and you're a Christian, we, I'm sure we've all prayed this, Lord, help me, because this person, I think, I mean, I, I don't know what I've done here, and this person's so much different than me. Well, instead of me having those honest dialogues with God and really seeking to work it out in that way, I just dove back into my pornography, and then eventually it even led to affairs and other things like that. And so in the summer of 99 is when everything came out. So I was, I've been married for four years. Uh, the first four years of our marriage were, as my wife puts it, hell on earth. And uh, eventually everything came out. And as a result of that, then she left uh, in order to just protect herself from any more pain. And that was actually the catalyst that God used to um, move me into recovery. And so literally the day she left was the first day of my recovery. And that was nearly 18 years ago. And so I started learning, what does it mean to, to be honest and transparent? What does it mean to have real accountability and people that are willing to get into my life and walk with me and, and hold my feet to the fire on what, what this grace and truth and Jesus looks like and what that means and how I live, uh, really digging into my history and saying, where are some wounds that have yet to be healed? And what are the things that I need to understand about some patterns of shame that had been uh, adopted in my life. And then also, what does it look like to have an authentic relationship with God? Not just some kind of religious, you know, duty or obligation, but really what does it look like to walk with your creator? And so all these things started becoming part of my life. And then uh, miraculously, God healed my marriage after nine months of separation. Um, and so my wife and I, we We've been married over 21 years, and so we are grateful to God's mercy in our lives. And man, my wife's my wife's whole story is a whole other amazing thing about how God took her through that process of forgiving me and rebuilding trust and all that. But um, uh, this is kind of the Reader's Digest version of the story. Obviously, in the book, there's more detail to that. But uh, all that to say is that the first steps really had to involve the fundamental paradigm shift of saying it can't be all about me anymore. Yeah. There has to be a bigger vision than just saying everything needs to be self-serving because I'll tell you this, I have never met a person and I believe I will never meet a person who has made everything about their life about themselves that ultimately finds satisfaction. 
there's no real contentment in the life that's, and what does our culture tell us? Even in the church, a lot of times it's about self-satisfaction. It's saying, mm-hmm. you just make the kind of the world revolve around you and you'll be happy. And it's like, nobody's ever found the gold at the end of that rainbow. It doesn't exist. Right. Well, and, you know, first of all, Elaine, Elaine's your wife's name, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'd love to interview her, too. In fact, I was so, I was thinking about, I was thinking that I should have had you both on at the same time if she does interviews. Does she do interviews? She's done them before, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that later. But, um, but yeah, so there's, there's the, and everybody, look, I want to offer you guys the hope. See, Jonathan's offering hope, right? His wife uh, forgave him. And uh, I, I think there was on your website, there's a video of your appearance on the 700 Club, where mm-hmm. I yeah. think in that video, she says you ca- she started catching you doing um, right, right, thing. right things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I went so I walked up to my husband before the show and I said, Hey, look at me. I busted you doing something right. <laughs> I, and I think that's, that's cool. I mean, that, that's such a, uh, like, Oh, cause we're so used to looking for the wrong. Is that, I busted mm-hmm. you doing something right, mister. Uh, yeah. But talk about that because that, that trust restored and that it really goes back to Romans 12, one and two, right. To be conformed, mm-hmm. not to this, world but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that totally took place apparently and part of that renewing i would say is i had to get a whole new perspective even about how i interacted with the the bible the word of god and and i think there's a lot of christians that actually have the world's perspective on the bible and what i mean by that is they see god's laws as punitive they see god's laws as restrictive and penalizing and even punishing And when I finally came to realize that, you know what, God's laws are for our pleasure. And that is not a, you want to ask your your viewers if that's a new perspective for them. I bet you get a lot of, Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody hardly ever says, what do you mean God's laws are for our pleasure? When you recognize that when God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, or he says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. When he's saying these things, he is actually saying, the pleasure for which I have made you is within this boundary so that when you do not go outside of your marriage sexually to try to find satisfaction, you can dive into this one flesh union that I've given you between husband and wife, and you can find the ultimate kind of pleasure. You can find the real sense of contentment and joy and satisfaction. And so when we, that was a huge part of the shift that I had to make was realizing God's laws are actually for my pleasure. They, they bring joy into my life. And I think out of that, then my wife was seeing that transformation in how I was viewing boundaries. You know, before I was trying to crash through every boundary, I was just being a rebel, just trying to say it's all about me. Now I was recognizing, you know what, if God says the boundary is this wide, the greatest pleasure is as far in the center of that as I can get. So I started finding myself actually pursuing, not try to see how close I could hang to the outside of the boundary, but how much I could move into the middle and say the greatest pleasure is the, the more I can get into the center of that. And that went a long way for my wife trusting me again, because she realized, you know what, if I've got a man who's running inside the boundary instead of trying to climb over the boundary, I've got a guy that's probably trustworthy because he's not going to lie to me. He's not going to be doing things that are deceptive and hidden and, and hurtful. Amen. You know, it, it reminds me of a, of a, um, 
of a little picture of, of the good shepherd and there's all those little sheep and they're inside the, the little gate, you know, and uh, in, I think it's Philip Yancey's book, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. One of the things he talks about is, uh, is the, the sheep that, that he had to kill one day. And it was because the stupid sheep, and I do emphasize stupid, the stupid mm-hmm. sheep kept going over and squeezing itself through the, the, the green, through the gate and going over to the other side. And as a result, it was a girl sheep, by the way, actually. And it was because it was a mom. And as a result, her babies kept following her and kept doing the the bad thing. And so eventually he had to, he had to, um, you know, make the horrible decision to kill the sheep because he wanted to save the rest of the flock because that sheep kept going outside the boundaries. Um, So boundaries are a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. And and that's a good thing. Okay, let me I want to throw up a quote from your book. Uh Randall uh, has that. We're going to throw it up on the screen. Uh I love this quote. It's, it's hiding sin is like trying to climb a mountain with your hands and feet tied. You will never reach the top. We probably should have said this earlier in the show, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's a great quote. I love that quote. I'd like you to elaborate on it. Yeah, so I think a lot of times we we have this desire, and I think it's a God-given desire to live victoriously, to live above mere instinct, because that's the other thing that, you know, a little sidebar here, I, I really, I push back on folks who try to make us human beings as if we are like every other animal on the planet, uh, because the reality is, is human beings are the only creatures that God chose to put his image on. Right. We're the only ones that bear his image. And so I believe that because of that, God has put within us this desire to live, if I can put it this way, transcendent lives, lives that rise above just mere instinct, mere urges and all of that. So think of that as the mountaintop. We want to reach the mountaintop. And the thing is, along the way, you are going to reach places where you stumble. There is sin in the way. There are these things that are these obstacles. And we know that uh, the Bible says in 1 John 1 that we're to walk in the light as God is in light. In other words, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. Um, And it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. As he is in the light, well, how is God in the light? When it says there's no darkness in him at all, what it means is he's not a shifting shadow. He does not bait and switch. He's not a deceptive being. So in other words, there is truth all throughout him. And so therefore, if we're to walk in the light as he is in the light, to try to reach the top of that mountain while we are keeping our mouths shut about the sin that we are struggling with along the way, is essentially like, let's just put shackles on our hands and on our feet, and you're never going to get to the top because it's only through that confession and continuing to stay in the light that we can actually move forward to where I think God has made for us to live. We are to live on the mountaintop, so to speak, but uh, mm-hmm. sin wants to keep us in the valley, and if we keep unconfessed sin, will certainly keep us in, in the valley. I, I agree, and that one of the things I love about First John is we always take verse 9 out of context, 
right. which drives me crazy because it's like, Ugh. if you just read that in context, because the, the surrounding verses there actually talk about what you just said and and also basically more or less implies that it doesn't imply it. It actually basically states that if you can't admit your sin, you're calling God a liar, mm-hmm. right? And who wants to do that? Who wants to call God a liar? Cause not me, because, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, there's another quote from your book. I saw Randall put it up, and I love this. This is a great quote, by the way. Okay, so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can set you free from whatever is holding you captive, mm-hmm. right? Amen to that, right? Oh, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that points all the way back to Isaiah 61, that Jesus actually declared of himself that that prophecy of I have come to set the captives free and to proclaim, you know, uh, proclaim that freedom for the captives and to bind up the brokenhearted and all these kinds of amazing imagery of just true freedom and release. Jesus says that is what he came to do and he came to fulfill that. And he did that on the cross. And then he confirmed that by rising from the grave. And so if we have a savior who can't be held by the grave and whose sin could not keep bound, then guess what? Is there really anything in life that any of us cannot overcome in him? And so I'm one of these people that I am not an advocate for this idea of once an addict, always an addict. You know, there is a, I do not ever stand up and say, hi, I'm Jonathan, I'm a sex addict. I stand up and say, hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm a child of the risen king, and I struggle with lust. And so that's a much more accurate understanding of my identity because I have been set free in Christ. I'm no longer addicted. I still get tempted, but I'm no longer bound by compulsions and addiction or any of that because Christ has set me free from that. Amen. And you know what? I concur with that. I, it drives me nuts that AA does that drives me nuts because it's not true. Okay. All right. So we got a question here from Andrea. She asks, and Andrea, I know I didn't get it perfect when I wrote it because I was trying to write it really fast, but I think I got the gist of it. Uh, she, she asks, how can we reduce the shaming of Christians with real sexual struggles? Because uh, let's face it. There are some, there are people who are really judgmental in the church, mm-hmm. AKA the Pharisees, you know, but how do we reduce that? How do we re- how how do we reduce the shaming of it? Because people won't come forward because then they'll go, rah, 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 rah. you know. Well, that's why I I constantly encourage people to um, and to think of it in terms of this. There, it takes courage. The other thing too is for those who have already shared their story. In other words, those who are sort of leading the way with their willingness to share their story. I believe it's on us to take the responsibility to create safe, inviting environments for those who have yet to tell their story. So um, there is, there is no one is helped if we essentially say, come in so we can beat you up. No one's helped with that. And so what we do, like in our ministry, um, the, the groups that we have and those kind of things, we like to call them a no shame zone. So whatever you say in that group, whatever you need to unpack, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever emotion you're feeling, whatever sin you are carrying, you are welcome to share in that environment. That environment doesn't mean that we are not going to challenge and spur one another on towards greater integrity and pursuing the truth, but we do it in a grace-based environment. 
So there's nothing that you can say in that environment. And this is what I would encourage to, was it Andrea? Mm-hmm. Is is get to seek out environments where your your worth as a human being is not going to be a yo- on a yo-yo of your performance. Meaning, I tell people to run away from support groups if you start to get this sense that um, you are only considered valuable if you are doing well, and your value is reduced if you are doing poorly. Our value was determined by God at the cross of Jesus Christ. You are worth the life of God's only son. And his value doesn't change. It doesn't fluctuate. And so therefore, because God's placed that value on you, then you can wrestle with all these things that you're trying to learn how to work out that incredible salvation in your daily life without it changing your worth or your value before God at all. And that's something that needs to be held central. And so the more environments that we can have where they're truly grace-based, then I think you're going to start seeing a whole lot more people set free because they'll realize I can get the full story out and now I can see what it is to start kind of putting the pieces back together. Amen. Amen. Some people are saying that's good counsel. Uh, One of my listeners just uh, said her son is, is addicted to pornography you know, and this is a tormenting thing. Look, I'm going to be honest. I, I was sexually abused. Most, I don't know if you're a regular listener, you, you know that. Um, and, you know, sexual abuse at a young age, uh, my perpetrator introduced me to pornography. So I've had to deal with, you know, the images that I was, I dealt with and masturbation. Let's just be honest. You know, when you're introduced to that at such a young age and that that's what's considered normal in your paradigm those things have to be dealt with, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there are times I still struggle with that. And there are times that, um, you know, I don't, fortunately, God's given me a lot of victory over that, but you know, just cause you're married doesn't necessarily mean you're not tempted anymore. So, you know, I share that as, as the host of this show, but also as a leader to let you know, look, there's grace there, uh, and there's safety there. And that's why we have, we have guests like Jonathan on so that we can actually talk about it. Um, I know you guys offer, you have support groups and other stuff. Tell us more about what BeBroken.com can offer people, both men and women, because uh, just so you know, everybody, women uh, are addicted to pornography at an increasing rate, too. It's not just men. I mean, a lot of women in the church. I I heard, and you're probably more up on the research on that, but I heard up to like 50% of women in the church are addicted now. Sure, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's it's rapidly rising the number of women that are struggling. Uh, even, you know, it used to be, uh, this is probably 10 year old, 10 year old news, but uh, it was one in three hits on a pornographic website was by a woman. So it's, it's a huge issue for women. And I always encourage pastors when, when they are willing to talk about this subject of pornography from the pulpit or those kinds of things, I always tell them the most important word you can use is and men and women. women. So don't make, because, I mean, how much more shame than does a woman bear if she's out in the congregation and they're making it seem like only a man is struggling with this and now she certainly can't come forward and talk about it because she's like, well, they don't even, they're making the assumption that there's no woman out here that would struggle with that. So in our ministry, we have a, 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 a part of our ministry that we call Pure Community, and that is our resource arm of our ministry. So everything from intensive workshops to um, podcasts and blogs, books, for anyone who is struggling in any way. So it could be for men who struggle, women who struggle, couples, for parents, teenagers. We've got resource connections 
We have hundreds of groups and counselors all across the country uh, to try to see, help you get local help. Um, and then we even have counselors and even some groups that if you don't have somebody in your local area, they can do those things by uh, video means. So our whole ministry is about trying to connect those uh, who are struggling with the resources that they need to, to get help. So purecommunity.org is actually the, the website for the for Pure Community Resources. Yeah, see, that is so cool. And you know what, here's the thing. I remember uh, in my training as a, as a therapist, one of my very first supervisors said the relationship is the cure. Of course, he was talking in the context of the clients coming in to see me as a therapist, but really it's true. Relationship is the cure because when mm-hmm. you are in bondage and you're, you're living secrets, you know, secrets is the name of the book people, by the way, you know, and you're not sharing the secrets, you know, that old saying, I hate it. I hate it, but it's true. You're only as sick as your secrets, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's true. I mean, you, you know, if you have one person you can share with, that's that's okay. But then sometimes that can even go wonky a little bit, you know. So getting into a good community of people that can be supportive is actually, you know, a, a good thing. And that's why we're doing the show. The church needs to be more transparent. Yeah, it does. And uh, less judgmental, right? I mean, let's mm-hmm. be honest. It's, um, but we can't be so, and, and this this would be my my concern, we can't be so full of grace that we lack the truth. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And, mm-hmm. you know, he requires that in order to, you know, be set free. It's, you know, he is the truth that sets us free. So, um, you know, and it's funny, Jonathan, because we see these examples like, like the woman at the well, you know, she was clearly, she had issues, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but he oh, never, yeah. he never judged her, you know, he, he loved her and said, Hey, you know, I'm the one that could give you living water. Uh, and all that. So I, I see that there's a lot of hope here and I'm really glad that you're here to share about that. Well, and that's exactly, we always want to let people know. I mean, our, like at the top of our website, when you go there, it says God's design for sex is holy and good. Yeah. And, and so many people think that, Oh, you listen, all you Christians, y'all are just all killjoys and you're about saying that sex is bad and all. And it's like, no, we actually believe we're in relationship with the designer of sex. And he says from the very beginning, this is very good. And so we want to actually, all we're trying to do, you know, we were talking before we even got on the air here about how we're living in a time where, you know, uh, people are calling evil good and good evil. Right. And and all we're trying to do is get that squared to where it's like, no, we're going to call good, good. And we're going to call evil, evil. And I think um, that's where the truth of God's word comes in. God doesn't say that sex is bad. And, and actually, there's nowhere in the scripture that he says that sex is bad. He says sin is bad and sexual sin is bad, but he doesn't say that sex is bad. And so some of this is an educational component, too. Mm-hmm. We realize there's a lot of people, even in the church, who simply don't even know what God has to say about sex because they've never really dug into the scriptures to find out what he has to say. Um, They'll see commandments and then they'll see somebody that's, you know, got a fire and brimstone talk about how, you know, you're going to go to hell if you do such and such. And it's like, well, there's no real understanding of that, what you're talking about, that fullness of grace and truth. Yeah. Well, you know, I had, um, there there was one listener who put in a comment and I don't know if it was, uh, I don't know the heart behind it, but what he said is, is you don't really have to tell anybody you can talk to God about it. Mm 
How would you respond to that? Well, uh, I, let's go back to First John 1. This is another, another place that this whole idea of confession has been misinterpreted from the context. Yeah. Did you know that for even just taking 1 John 1, 9, let's just pull it out. It says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where is the single personal pronoun in there? It's a context of community. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. That even in that is a communal verse. So we have westernized it because we like to be very individualistic in the Western world or even actually in the world in general. Now, I think we're getting to be very individualistic and because everybody's trying to copy the Western world. And so what ends up happening is we take that and we interpret it then to mean, oh, yeah, that's me in my closet. If I confess my sins to God, everything's cool. But God actually says elsewhere in his word in James 5.16. I'm glad says, you brought that up. Okay, I was says, just thinking it. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. healed. That's right. There is a, there's a necessity for us to confess our sins not only to God but to one another. And I will tell you just from my personal story, I thought for years that God didn't care about me or he wasn't listening to me. Because don't make a mistake thinking that for all those years that I was addicted, that I wasn't confessing to God by myself alone in my closet thousands of times. Right. And, and yet nothing changed. Guess what happened? When I got into the context of community and started to confess my sin, it's almost as if God says, I have been waiting to unleash my power in you. And you just needed to get into the right context. It's not, it's not that God didn't care, not that God wasn't able, but he's just saying, I have a particular context in which I am more willing to just unleash my power to give you freedom and to completely break the chains. And it was in the context of community and confessing to one another. Amen. You know, I have, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm laughing in part because of a memory I have, um, and I'm debating if I should share it. I figure what the hell, I'll share it. Um, okay, so many years ago, you talk about community. This I was. This was before I got into recovery, before I had dealt with any of the sexual abuse issues in my life, um, and the effects of that, which were, you know, that I I didn't look at pornography because I didn't have any, but I still engaged in masturbation cage, occasionally. And I remember I was at um, a Bible study, and this is a true story. You're gonna laugh. Well, you might not laugh when you hear this, but. So I was at a Bible study and the pastor, he was like, you know, you know, worship music and everything. Oh, the spirit's flowing, you know, all this stuff and everything. And, and he's like, somebody here needs to confess this in somebody, you know, blah, blah. And, you know, of course I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, he knows, God knows, you know. <laughs> and so I literally, so I, I raised my hand and, um, and, and then I confessed what I just said. <laughs> The room went, the room went like completely, like quiet. I mean, it was like oh, yeah. it was like nobody knew what to do, and he he actually um, he actually said, "I think you need to go talk to my wife <laughs> or something like that." He, he seriously didn't know what to do, and um, you know, anyway, a short time after that, I got into therapy, and you know, and I've I've dealt with that stuff, but you know. I bring that up because it's like who, who, you know, in my naivety as a twenty-something, you know, I'm, 
I'm like burying my soul in front of this Bible study, you know, it's like no, and nobody actually even pursued trying to help me back then, you know, mm-hmm. when I, when I, <laughs> and so I just share that because today it's a lot easier than it was 25 years ago to get help. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, if you yeah. really want to, you don't have to confess it in front of a whole Bible study people, just so you know, you can actually go to therapy. You can go to John's ministry. Right. Well, I, I want to commend you, Stacey, for your courage, even if it was uh, maybe the not the greatest strategy for <laughs> for confessing. But hey, you know what? I look at it this way. I I truly believe because I mean, I my initial confession of my wife was a horrible strategy for just dumping it all on her in one night. I mean, that was a terrible strategy. Sure. But uh, but I still believe that in hindsight, you know, God honors those confessions. Yeah of being able to say it's about getting things into the light and, and it's always going to be a messy process anyway, even if you had gone to a counselor or someone, there's still an awkwardness and discomfort. Uh, you know, it just, it, it's difficult, but it's good. And I want the listeners to know that it does, there is a risk involved, but it's a healthy risk. And so yeah. the more you, more you can try to find a safe environment to do that, obviously the better it can go, but confession is still critical. It's good for the soul. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is, you know, and I mean, I can tell you as a therapist that that it was difficult for me to hear people's stuff. But, you know, it, it's like it is what it is, you know, and I think one thing that I can tell you, and I know, Jonathan, you can totally confirm this, is that, you know what, you are not alone. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody, I don't care who you are, everybody on some level deals with something like this on some level, even I mean, even if it's not you personally, you know, it's you know, it's maybe it's your loved one, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, so I, I'm, I laugh because I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what any of you people are going to think now that I confess this to all of you, but you know what? I'm not about being a faker and being disingenuous. This is a real topic and there's real deliverance, you know, is that, mm-hmm. is that for Catholics confession? Well, Catholics, yeah, they, <laughs> That's another show topic, but anyway, our time's almost up, and I know Jonathan's got to go at the top of the hour, so I want you to wrap it up with a bow and and hopefully get some help from you know give some help to some people. Yeah, so uh, anybody that wants to get in, simply go to uh, bebroken.com or, or bebroken.org, and we've got lots of resources, and we've got people that can talk to you on the phone. Uh, so if you want to kind of take that first safe step of saying, hey, listen, I'm not ready to you know, send in a contact form or do anything like that, but I will talk to somebody on the phone. We'd be happy to give you space to tell your story and, and start getting some help. Amen. All right, everybody go to uh, that website, bebroken.com. And remember, be bold, stand up, and go with God because he does love you, you guys. He loves you. He really does. And there's no better person in the world to be, be loved by than God. So go with him. Uh, I think we don't have a show tonight, but we'll see you tomorrow. I have a great guest tomorrow, so I hope to see you guys tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon, same time. Okay? Thanks.